It's wonderful to be with our church family today. It's wonderful to be able to uh, lead a prayer with one another and to share that prayer with one another. For those who are in special needs, we've had uh, some of our folks who have lost loved ones recently. We have others who are facing surgeries, others who are facing treatment, some who are recovering from all of that, and many who are concerned for their loved ones. We also have family members that are out of town. Uh, it is a, a great blessing to see our sister Carolyn Womack back with us uh, today, and also Evan Kingsbury is here as well. And so it's uh, just a great blessing to see God's work uh, with us and with those that we love. We certainly want to uh, be prayerful and mindful of our nation uh, today. And just a couple of days ago, as you know, uh, the Roe v. Wade decision from 1973 uh, was struck down and sent back to the states. And so um, while abortion is not outlawed throughout the country, it is something that I think the states and individual citizens will have a greater opportunity uh, to share compassion and concern and the love and word of Christ as we uh, deal with this now post-Roe era. And so I think it means we're going to have to put our money where our mouth is. So many of us have spoken out and prayed for this day to come. And so now that it's here, we want to be sure and be compassionate on all of those, the mothers who are in an uh, unexpected pregnancy, the family members that are involved, and certainly to take care of the children in the womb and after birth as well. It calls on us to be compassionate, calls on us to be active, calls on us to look for ways to help. One of the great uh, ministries that's out there that our church has supported is Christian Homes and Family Services, and they do a lot of great work uh, with uh, expectant mothers, a lot of great work with families, a lot of great work with uh, caring for children after they're born, including adoption services. And so we want to be prayerful and mindful uh, for them. I do want to echo a little bit more about what our shepherd, uh, David Hammond, shared during uh, that time of our shepherd's prayer uh, about our safety team. Probably most of you do not know, but our safety team was up here Friday night after the decision from dark till around, I believe, around 2.30 or 3. And they were up here because there have been a lot of threats once this decision was made, and the threat of vandalism was very, very high. Thankfully, there were no incidents from what I understand in talking with Stan Clark, the head of that team, and everything went well, and it could very well be that a part of the reason for that is because of these wonderful men and women that are members of this church family uh, that are willing to stand in the gap for us. And they do that every time we have an activity or event here. Certainly they do that and are doing that right now. But if you see one of them today and they have on that yellow safety team uh, name badge, I hope that you'll thank them and that you will continue uh, to be prayerful for them and prayerful for our church and prayerful for our communities, our states, and our nation and our world. Let's bow for just a moment. Father, we praise you as the giver of life, the sustainer of life. We praise you, Father, because uh, when your son came, he came as light and life in the world. When he came, he said himself that he had come so that we could have life to the full. And so, Father, as we consider this momentous and challenging uh, time in our nation of tension and 
polarization, but also great opportunity. We ask that you would help us to share your love and your word and your compassion with those, Father, who uh, are in a special place where they might need that in special ways, but also, Father, help us uh, to be your presence in this world through your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we sang the little kids song earlier, so you already know the answer based on the topic that we're studying today of those first blanks in that first sentence, right? Oh, be careful little, what? Mouth what you say. Does our language matter? Does it matter what we say, how we talk, the things we say to each other, the words that we choose to use? The way we treat the name of the Lord? Well, when you phrase it like that, Preacher Bill, on a Sunday morning, yeah, we all know the right answer is yes. But as we've gone through this series of sermons, and we're just on number three today, today we look at the question, how's your language, really, honestly? How's your language? A second question might be one that I just asked, and that is, does it matter? Why would you ask that question, Bill? Well, I ask that question because sometimes I fear that some of us think it doesn't matter. Commandment number one was put God first. Our question was, who is your God? Commandment number two was, don't sell God short. Our question for that commandment was, how big is your God? Commandment number three is this, watch your words. The third of the Ten Commandments asks the question, how's your language? Really? How's your language? We've been looking at these Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, and number three is found in Exodus 20 verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The traditional translation, you shall not take the name of the Lord, what? In vain, in vain, as if it was meaningless. I think that commandment points us to the things that we say and our attitude about our language in general, our attitude about the way we speak to and about each other, and also, of course, the way we treat the name of God. I want to speak for just a few moments at the beginning here about the importance of names. The importance of names. We'll get to that gravestone in just a moment, but think about the importance of names. Um, We have lots of new babies around here over the past couple of years, and we're so excited about that, and we pray that that uh, will continue over the next few years. Certainly expect that to happen. But whenever there's a baby that's coming, one of the top-selling books is what? The best baby name book, (laughs) or whatever it might be called. And so you're looking through that, and you're finding, trying to find a name, and you're thinking about a name already maybe, and you want to look through that book so that you can figure out exactly uh, what that name means. And um, 
The baby name book is one that's very popular. You've heard me say before, when Moses sent out the 12 spies, when they were ready to cross the promised land and they didn't get to because of their own lack of faith, he sent out 12 spies. And uh, 10 of them came back and said, we can't do it. The people are too big. Their weapons are too strong. Their horses are too fast. We just can't do it. But two of them came back and said, no, with God's help, we can do it. We can do it. What were those two names? Joshua and Caleb. Ever hear of a boy today by the name of Josh or Joshua? Ever hear of a boy by the name of Caleb? Okay, now the next question, of course, is what? Tell me the names of the other ten. I'm right there with you. (laughs) No idea without turning to that passage. Names are important. Names are significant. And now here we are, 3,500 years after these events, we still name our children Joshua and Caleb. The importance of names. Okay, this gravestone. I, I'm sorry, that's the best picture I have. Um, but I, do, I did look at it very closely in my office, so I know, I know what I think it says. There are a couple of these words that even looking at it very close, um, you still have trouble. Here's what the gravestone says. In memory of William Allen, who departed this life December 26th, 1781. By the way, December is abbreviated, capital D-E-C-M, period. In memory of William Allen, who departed this life December 26th, 1781, aged 75 years, 10 months, 9 days, not sure of the 9, also his wife, Elizabeth Allen, Departed this life May 15th, not sure of that date, 1800, aged 95 years. That's blocked, but I'm assuming that's what it says. This is a gravestone from the old Hanover Presbyterian Church, also known as the English Cemetery in Pennsylvania. And this William Allen was born in 1709 in Ireland. And according to ancestry, he is my sixth great-grandfather. If you go to the Allen Cemetery in Beach Grove, Texas, near Jasper, where my grandma mom lived, near there, uh, my ancestors settled a long time ago. And there you have some grave markers as well. I don't have pictures, but I can share with you what's on some of them. William Allen Sr., who is my great-great-grandfather. He lived from 1811 to 1869. William Allen, my great-grandfather, his son, born in 1850, died in 1923. William Preston Allen, who is my grandfather. He was born in 1889 and died in 1950, seven years before I was born. So I never got to meet my dad's dad, my paternal grandfather. And then there's one that is not buried there, but it's William Harold Allen, and that is my father. He was born in 1920, died in 1987, and he's buried in Fort Sam National Cemetery in San Antonio, Texas, our, my hometown, a fact that I'm very, very proud to share. And then there's William Harold Allen, Jr. Guess who that is? That would be this guy. 
no gravestone yet, um, but that is my name. And then I have a cousin, Joseph William Allen Jr., who is named for his father, who was Joseph William Allen. And our son's name, had Joyce and I had a son, and we miscarried our first pregnancy, and so we look at uh, that baby as the son we never got to see. But if we had a son, we had the name settled very early. The name was Brian William Allen. Two of our four grandchildren, two of our grandsons of the three, are named Isaac William Adkison and William Allen Tyndall. The significance of names. According to Ancestry, my seventh great-grandfather who would have been the father of the William Allen that is on this tombstone. My seventh great-grandfather was born in Ireland in 1680. Years earlier, his family had immigrated from Scotland to Ireland for religious reasons. He ultimately immigrated to Pennsylvania, where he died in 1744. Anybody want to wager a guess on what his name was? William Allen, the significance of names. Well, when we consider this great passage in Exodus 20 and the call to respect and value the name of the Lord, we understand the the value of names and the importance of names, specifically the name of God. In Exodus chapter 3, we find that interaction between Moses and the Lord at the burning bush. And one of the excuses Moses gives is, what if they ask me your name? I, I won't even know what name to tell them of this God who called me. And God said what? Tell them, I am has called me. What has called you? Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. In the Old Testament Hebrew, they would not use vowels as they wrote. And so we're really not sure how to pronounce this, which is complicated by the fact that they took this commandment so seriously and they took this special name that God himself had given to Moses to use as his name for generations. They, after a while, they stopped pronouncing it. And so even Hebrew scholars are not quite familiar with how to pronounce this name of God. It's called the sacred tetragrammaton, those four letters, Y-H-W-H. It's translated the Lord in many translations, some like the NIV, uh, capitalized Lord in all caps so that you know when it's this term rather than a different term. Other translations use a word, Jehovah, where you add a couple of vowels in there. And so then uh, uh, Y-E-H-O-V-A-H becomes Yehovah or Jehovah. And some translations use that for this sacred name of God, Y-H-W-H. Some just add a couple of uh, vowels and call him Yahweh. And that could be something similar to how it was pronounced. And then there's this name, Jesus Christ. The sacred, sacred names of God. In Scripture, the name of the Lord, when you see something that says the name of the Lord, it's the same as if they had said the Lord. When the Scripture talks about the name of the Lord... 
it is basically referring specifically to the person of God, not just the name of the Lord, but the Lord himself. And so in Matthew 28, when Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission, he tells them to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. What? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. By the authority of, in the name of, because God commanded it. Jesus in Luke 24, before his ascension, he tells them there will come a time when uh, forgiveness of sins, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name, starting in Jerusalem. And that was fulfilled, as you know, less than two months later when on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the call came back what, to answer the question, what do we do? It was repent in Acts 2 verse 38 and be baptized, what? In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The significance of names. When questioned by the Jewish authorities, the apostles said, look, if you want to know why this great miracle was done and how it was done, it was done. Let everyone know for sure it was done in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. Salvation can be found in no other name than that name which has been given, Jesus Christ. In that great passage in Philippians 2, it speaks there at the end and it says that God has given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Absolutely. So a few things about our language today in light of this great commandment. How's your language? First of all, your language tells you what you think about God. Your language tells you what you think about God. You want to know how much you reverence God, how much you respect God, if you truly believe that the Lord is God? Check your language. Your language tells you what you think about God. How significant is that? Well, in this great verse, in Colossians 3, verse 17, it says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you say, whatever you do, say that and do that in the name of Jesus Christ. And so everything we say and everything we do becomes, at least indirectly, an act of worship. It becomes a confession of what we believe about God. In Ephesians chapter 5, we have this passage that begins in verse 1. Uh, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Verse 4, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 
For all of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, verse 6, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, therefore do not be partners with them. There should not be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. Out of the mouths of people of God. But rather thanksgiving. Yes, we need to speak up. Yes, we need to say things. But it needs to be words that demonstrate and proclaim our great gratitude to the God whose name means everything to us. To the God we believe is the one true and living God. Now, we can take that a little bit far, and I, I always have to smile because I think of a man who was a great evangelist. He was a, a great servant of the Lord of our church in San Antonio, and he, he was uh, ultimately, he was a, a worker, a civil service worker at one of the bases, and then he retired. Before he retired, he did volunteer ministries with the Airmen Basics there on their fifth day. I believe it's their eighth day of training. Evan can correct me if I'm wrong. But on their eighth day of training, they would have a chapel briefing. And they would have a general briefing. And then they would split up into what they called denominational groups. And if there was individuals there, these boys and girls starting their basic training, if there were individuals there who wanted uh, to talk to someone who was affiliated with Churches of Christ, then we would have someone there. Most of the time, it was John Murphy, even before he retired. But he always had a dream that he wanted to become a, a, a full-time preacher at a little church somewhere. And so after he retired, he became that. He, he became that preacher in Floresville, just southeast of San Antonio. But before that time, uh, John and I were dear friends, uh, just incredible Christian leaders, John and Lois Murphy. And, um, and so during that time, while I was there in San Antonio, we were kind of making that transition in public uh, preaching and scripture reading from the authorized version, the King James Version of 1611, to the New International Version. And so we were doing that, and John was at the forefront of that. He was the one that was championing that. He said, Bill, we need to get everybody that reads the scripture to read the NIV. You need to use the NIV in your preaching. I know the King James Version is fine, and I love it, and we've got all the verses memorized, and it'll get you to heaven, but people today... Don't speak like that anymore, and so let's, let's use the NIV in our teaching and preaching. And I said, that's great, John. I'm all for that, and we did. <clears throat> and then John would lead public prayers. And I noticed that he, when he led public prayers, it was thee this, and thou art that, and thither this, and thither that. <laughs> And so after a while of that, I, I finally got up the nerve. You know, preachers have to get up the nerve to do things. And so I got up the nerve, and I went to him, and I said, John, I, I realize that you're all about reading Scripture in the NIV. He said, that's right, we need to be doing that. I said, but then why do you pray to God in the King James Version? <laughs> and he thought for a minute, and he said, you know, Bill, you're right. You're right. And it's not any disrespect to God to not use thee and thou, but to use you and your instead. It's fine. To say are instead of art. To say there instead of thither. That's okay. 
That's all right. And so after that, when John would get up to pray, he would try to pray in the NIV. And guess what? He couldn't do it. (laughs) His prayers, he was stumbling through his words. He was doing his very best. And you could tell it was important to him. He had the right motivation. He had the right heart about it. He just couldn't do it. (laughs) His prayers became very awkward. And finally, he came to me and he said, Bill, God's just going to have to forgive me for praying to him in the King James Version. I can't. I just can't do it. Well, it's not that one of those respects the name of God and one does not. It's not that one of those thinks more highly of God and one does not. It's, that's a completely cultural thing. It's a time and place. And so we ask ourselves today, okay, what, what is respecting the name of God today? How should we address him? That would be the question related to that. But then here's another question. Your language tells you what you think about God. So when should we use the name of the Lord? Well, you could probably think of a lot of examples. I'm going to share a few. We should use the name of the Lord in our worship, obviously. We should use the name of the Lord in our Bible study. We should use the name of the Lord in prayer, of course. But we should also use the name of the Lord when we are sharing his name with others. His name is wonderful. We'll sing in a few minutes. I hope you were able to hear our brother Eric's message this past Wednesday night as he called on us not to drop the ball when it comes to sharing the name of the Lord with others. If you weren't here, then I urge you to look on our website and our video archives and listen to that. We should use the name of the Lord. This isn't a message to say, don't say anything. (laughs) Certainly don't say anything about God, but rather the opposite. That when you do say things, you say things that are positive and building up, as we're going to read in just a moment. And when you speak the name of the Lord, you're doing it from a worshipful perspective. Studying His Word to know how we should live our lives and sharing that wonderful, glorious name with others. Your language tells you what you think about God. Secondly, today, your language tells you what you think about others. Remember, Jesus said the second great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. A natural continuation of the first, to love the Lord your God. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, we read this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So let me ask you, how's your language (laughs) related to that? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Is that true? Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not tearing them down. How's your language? When you talk to others, when you talk about others, is it something that is building up or is it unwholesome? Is it of no benefit at all? Our language matters. Your language tells you what you think about others. And Jesus calls on us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that can be seen. How much that, how true that is, can be seen in our language, how we talk to each other. The words that come out of your mouth play a role in the faith and lives of others, either to encourage and build up 
or to discourage and tear down. That wonderful communion meditation that Danny shared with us, he spoke about loneliness and how people are lonely around us, and they need us to build them up and encourage them. And we can do that with acts of kindness and hugs and handshakes, but we can also do that with our words. Our encouragement cards are a great and wonderful ministry. If you want to write a couple during the rest of this sermon, you have my complete blessing. You can put them at the end of the pew or you can put them in the box in the back. But when you do that, you're doing what Paul commands here in Ephesians 4 verse 29, doing things, saying things that will build others up. The words that come out of your mouth are a witness to others, either for good or bad, bringing others closer to the Lord or farther away from Him. Your language tells you what you think about God. Your language tells you what you think about others, but in many ways, this third one is the one that gets me. And it's not one that we think about often. Your language tells you what's in your heart. We, we probably, every single one of us, believe that we're going to be judged based on what's in our hearts. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the Gospels. We see that in the New Testament in the letters. And so the question comes, okay, Bill, how do I know what's in my heart? Here's one way to know. How's your language? You say, Bill, that's kind of a stretch, isn't it? Is it? In Matthew chapter 12... Jesus was uh, facing questions about whose name, in whose name he did these incredible things, even accusing him of doing them in the name of the devil, Beelzebul. And that was a big deal for God, kind of related to that unpardonable sin, if you're glorifying God for the good things that you're doing. And so it caused on Jesus to say these words in Matthew 12, beginning at verse 33. Verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Verse 34. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, verse 36, that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Let me ask you again, how's your language? And does it matter? According to Jesus, it means everything. By our words, we'll be acquitted, or by our words, we'll be condemned. And then that incredible statement at the end of verse 34 for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, the traditional translation, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. How's your language? Why is that important, Bill? Because it's an indicator of what is in your heart. Do you speak words that are coarse, that are foul? Do you speak words that build up? Do you speak words that honor the name of God, the name of Jesus 
Christ. In chapter 15, a very similar passage where they're questioning Jesus about why his disciples don't wash their hands and follow some other traditions. And Jesus makes it clear in that passage that it's not what goes in that makes a person unclean. It's what comes out of their mouths because out of their mouths come what is in their heart. Just as he had said in Matthew chapter 12. Psalm 19, verse 14, this familiar statement, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Even the Old Testament psalmist understood the connection between the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How's your language? Again, it's important to spend time on this because I fear many do not think our language matters. But I tell you, if what is in our heart matters, then what comes out of our mouths matters. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your language tells you what you think about God. It tells you what you think about others, and it tells you what's in your heart. And so as we close today, what does my language say about me (laughs) is the question we each should ask ourselves and have an honest answer. And here's the good news. If it doesn't speak very highly of me and very well of me, we can change. That's the word repent. We can be forgiven and God will start us afresh. And we can use the words that we say to demonstrate that the meditations of our heart are filled with encouragement and devotion, and respect for God, and love for others, and we're willing to share His name with everyone. Be conscious of your words this week. Your language shows how much you respect God. Your language shows how much you love others. Your language shows what's in your heart. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. This morning, if you need encouragement in prayer or if you want to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, come as we stand and sing these two short songs together.